0: Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Game on the Inside the Game Cox podcast. Here's JC Sherbert. Inside the Game podcast, JC Sherbert here with you on a Thursday, first day of October 2020. We have uh, only two more first of the month before this year is over, thankfully. I know a lot of people will be happy about that to move on. Uh, of course, you know, folks are already starting. The myth that January is going to be any, any better, blah, blah, blah. Of course it's not. I mean, um, <clears throat> but it could be, and um, it's largely symbolic. I think a lot's happened in this calendar year that we'd all rather forget. Um, and so anyway, happy October 1st uh, to all of you folks out there. I remember where I was nine years ago. That's October 1st, 2011, was at the Auburn-South Carolina game. That was a costly loss for the Gamecocks at home. Beautiful day for a game, CBS. Uh, Gamecocks lost 16-13 to the Auburn team that had won the national title the year before, but it was an eight-win team. Michael Dwyer, I think, rushed for about a buck eighty five on 42 carries. Stephen Garcia did not have a good game that day. Carolina had on some different uniforms and and lost the game. That was tough, but uh, it was on October 1st game, so I'll always kind of remember it, uh, you know, in terms of where I was that day. Had a great time afterward uh, hanging out with some friends and things like that, met some new people that day. So that was a a significant day uh, in my life. But anyway, besides that, that, that'll be in the book I write about, all the details of that'll be in the book I write about Gamecock football and my life one day. Um, there's a game Saturday, South Carolina's second game of the year. feels weird to say that in October, but they're going down to the Swamp in Florida to play the third-ranked Gators, so it's a top-five road game. Um, and Florida, you know, I've been kind of looking into them, and, and the first thing that stands out to me uh, from a general perspective is Dan Mullen seems relaxed and confident. And, and this is a guy that probably is not always that way. I mean, he was almost jovial with the media. Uh, he's not necessarily standoffish, but, you know, he's he's all business. Uh, but he certainly um, seems relaxed. Looks like he's lost some weight, you know, been working out, dieting. You know, looks like he feels good. <laughs> I was happy for Dan Mullen as a person watching the press conference yesterday, but um, he seems relaxed and fired up, and, and I think that – that confidence and and relaxed nature trickles down. And, you know, Kyle Trask sort of plays like that at quarterback, you know, he kind of overcomes, you know, whatever happens bad. I think Colin Hill's got some similarities demeanor wise too, but, you know, we need more of a body of work since it's for whatever reason, still some discussion out there with Gamecock fans. Don't ever get on Facebook and read some of the comments from Gamecock fans Uh, or just don't respond to them. Because there's some folks out there that, man, they need to listen to this podcast or, you know, read the big spur. Uh, It's not necessarily that their opinion is that Holinsky should play. It's kind of the process as to how they've arrived at that decision. Uh, And it it leaves a lot to be desired. So, folks, uh, tell them they can join for a dollar, you know. (laughs) Uh, Read up on it. Uh, You know, you use your real name on Facebook, man. Don't do this to yourself. Um, So, anyway, uh, that's the one thing that stood out, you know, to me just looking into Florida is that Dan Mullen, who's usually tight, you know, he's usually got kind of pretty tight guy. He's relaxed and seems like they're ready to roll. Um, You know, I think one of the big questions in the football game for South Carolina's defense, which is going to have to play better. uh, You can't make the mistakes at critical times like you did against Tennessee because Florida's more explosive. Uh, they have a different type of offense, and, and they can get you. I mean, they can, they can get you, you know, so uh, they need to play better all the way around. The, the question is, who covers Kyle Pitts? Um, and on Kyle Pitts, I think we can agree that right now he looks like the best tight end in the country. Uh, I want to remind everyone of his recruiting ranking, which was, I think, .9374, which would have put him – you know, outside of the top 150, maybe close to it, in the same range as guys like Boogie Huntley and Joe Anderson. And, and he was actually ranked lower than Eric Shaw by 24-7 sports. Um, and, and so that goes to show you, too, you know, some of those folks, um, you know, that, that, that always complain that it's, it's never good enough if you're not a top 100 guy. Well, this guy's the best tight end in the country, and he's ranked similarly. Uh you know, to a lot of the players Carolina's gotten. And, and so that, that that's, you know, you never know. You, you need a foundation, and, yeah, he was a four-star guy, but, you, you know, it's about maximization first and foremost. But that's more of an off-season topic. I just wanted to point that out. Who covers him if you're South Carolina is the, the bigger question. Um, And, you know, I think there's a school of thought that if Izzy Mcquamu is healthy, that would be the guy – uh, I was talking to Keith Ossep yesterday offline, locked on the Gamecocks podcast, my former co-host, a good friend, uh, and he brought up a good point. Um, J.C. Horn maybe needs to get that guy. Uh, and you can put Izzy or John Dixon on the perimeter. You know, Izzy matched up against a Trevon Grimes, six-foot-four, six-foot-five kind of guy. Uh, but but you got to take Pitts out. And if you're going to play, you know, man coverage and things like that, the guy to do that – is obviously J.C. Horn. Now, you run into a problem if you put him kind of in a nickel position, you know, on the perimeter. You don't have him shutting down a side of the field or whatever. Um, but but it may just be that if if you want to take away what they're doing best and take away their – right now, who's their best offensive player? It's Kyle Pitts. You know, that, that's a logical explanation. Now, may not happen. Maybe they put Mook on him. Maybe they slide Jamie Robinson into a nickel spot and slide Jalen Dickerson back and let he and Roderick play safety. I don't know. Maybe Roderick's physical enough. I don't think think in coverage he'd get lost, but maybe he's physical enough. You know, there's all these scenarios, like I said, I think in terms of scenarios. But I like the Horn and Mukwamu scenario the best just because, you know, I feel like a lot of defense is taking away what they do, you know, they do the best. And because it's a tight end and it's such a ridiculously challenging matchup, if he gets on a linebacker or whoever, you know, you take that away and you take your chances everywhere else. I don't know. That, 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 Will Muschamp and Traverse Robinson have to uh, dig in on that and identify where personnel-wise there are, you know, disadvantages and advantages. You know, but just me here speculating, you know, I, I think somebody's got to take that guy because it's, it's you know – the. It can't be that he's ma if they do, man, it can't be that he's matched up against a linebacker all day. That that's that's not gonna work out too well. <laughs> um, but Kyle Pitts is a great player, you know, came out of Florida, swiped him out of Pennsylvania, state of Pennsylvania. I don't know how got away from James Franklin and Penn State and the other schools that recruit Pennsylvania, but Dan Mullen's from Pennsylvania. So, you know, some of those kids up in the northeast, they like going to Florida. Um and uh, he did, and he's been really, really good. So, stop Kyle Pitts. That's a big key to the game on Saturday. Uh, I think there's a variety of possibilities in terms of who can actually be responsible for that, um, but it remains to be seen exactly how they they handle it. So, we'll see what happens there. You know, Pitts obviously is a big deal. Um, you know, you got to get pressure, obviously, on um, – on, Kyle Trask. Uh, and that's hard because they have so many quick passes and they do so much in the run game to try to freeze you. Um, you know, continuing along the lines of the Carolina defense, I'll say this, you know, in RJ Roderick and I mentioned him, he has got to step up. You know, RJ Roderick, when he's a true freshman, was out there sticking people, running around, um, you know, certainly had his moments that he lost coverage or whatever, but he's he's got to continue I mean he's got to take a next step at some point. Because he's kind of the same guy. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's 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 one of those things where I believe that this staff does a great job of developing guys individually. But, you know, that's one guy that hasn't, you know, in the last couple of years. And you know, he's got to step up. Um, you know, he's got to become the player that everybody sort of envisioned him becoming, you know, back – in 2018 when he was forced into action and was a converted quarterback. You know, I don't know what the, the deal is there. Um, I don't know whether he gets lost in coverage sometimes or, or, you know, the assignments. I don't know what it is, but they need him to step up. And quite frankly, they need Izzy Mquamu to step up. And I'm just going to be truthful here about Mquamu. I, I think he's got a load of upside. He's rare. There aren't many six four corners. And he showed exactly what he's capable of doing. Uh, against Georgia last year in in terms of um, the three interceptions, the pick six. Uh, Definitely capable of that. But I think a lot of people that were putting him on all-American teams and all SEC teams and talking about how he's a first-rounder only watched that game. Um, And look, it was a noon kickoff. Carolina upset the number three team in the country. They played the highlights over and over again. On ESPN all day, everybody's watching it all. Even if they didn't watch it live, they saw him picking it off and looking like a uh, a rising star. Uh, none of those people watched any other South Carolina football, though, because I think it was clear the guy has a ways to go. You know, not 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 a super long way, but and it's more about consistency. But but he's not yet a play i mean his body of work when you look at it all does not say he's arrived or really has any business talking about going pro and then saturday night he had the groin injury or whatever and sat out i mean you know he's got to get back and he's got to you know show why you know they're not going to be talking about him being a stock down guy this year um now do i think it's fair that he, he's in the position to become stocked down? No, I think he got too much praise for one game. Uh, and that seems to be the the, the way it is for a lot of, with a lot of players. Um, even, you know, with South Carolina fans and certain players, they see one game and then that's it. Uh, you got to kind of weigh the body of work. Um, and it's good and bad on South Carolina's part. You know, you, you, you think back and, you know, people didn't want to talk about all the really good games Jake Bentley had. It was almost like they never talked about it when they won. And he was the big reason why they won. Um, you know, but you go to Kentucky and have a terrible game and everybody wants you off the team. Um, and it's almost the reverse with Ryan Helensky. Everybody talks about the Alabama game last year and that's it. And the first half against Georgia, which those are significant opponents and you can't take that away, but you got to look at the body of work. Same with McQuamu. you know, Izzy McWamu. Needs to play a great game, and he's got. If he's play, if he plays this weekend, if he's not out, he's got a great opportunity. You know, especially if they match him up with Pitts. Man, this is where you make your money. You know, on if he goes on top of like last year's game with Georgia. You know, which everybody focused on. Everybody's going to be focusing on if Carolina's even in the ball game Saturday. You know, in that noon slot, everybody starts turning it over. Uh, To that game and watch it, including the stats he's and then then, so then if you shut pits down or you have a great game against the best tight end in in football, yeah, the NFL guys are going to be like, yeah, you know, but he's got to go earn it. You know, he he hasn't arrived. He's not like J.C. Horn, who clearly game in and game out shuts down his side of the field and rarely gets beat and rarely gets targeted. You know, and coaches are smarter than the hype. You know, they're watching the film going, "Eh, we're not going to throw it at seven. We're going to throw it at 24. I mean, I'm sorry. Robinson's seven now. Horn is one. We're not going to throw it at one. We're going to throw it at 24. So that's my take. Mukwamu needs to step up. R.J. Roderick's going to step up. Because you can't play with two in the secondary. You can't play, you know, with two good guys. You know, they're going to find – you know, you're going to have an issue. I mean, Tennessee the other night. I think Tennessee has a really good defensive backfield. They were missing their nickel, and South Carolina, just Shai Smith killed them on the slant. And they had, they had a pretty talented freshman in there, but they just killed him on the slant. One of the simplest plays in football. Just killed them. You know, Alante Taylor and, and Bryce Thompson couldn't do anything about it because Jalen McCullough. So you can't play with two in the secondary. And I, I think. You know, a lot of times Carolina's out there playing with two. You know, you got to have a Roderick step up, play like he's capable, and, and McQuamu, and both those guys are capable. You know, and I'm I'm a podcaster, <laughs> so they're not listening to me. Uh, you know, but I think the coaches are probably explaining that to them. That look, you know, man, you're you you got all the talent in the world and ability, and and, and your your future is bright. But you got to go do it. Izzy McQuamu has to go do it. You can't live off one-game highlights, you know. Uh, one time when I played junior high basketball, uh, I scored nah, – now, hold on, I'm going to take you back to the church league, you know, because when I got to high school, everybody got taller than me, and around 10th or 11th grade, I started playing church league ball just to – and, you know, I was a guard at that point, but I was a forward in junior high because I, I kind of grew fast and then quit growing. But – you know, one time in a church league game, I scored 38 points. Okay, that was one game um, against a team that we played in the playoffs. And you know, I show up, and you know, because one time I, th- I scored 38 points against them, I was overconfident, and you know, a little, you know, they have church league basketball tournaments in high school. It's fun, and they whipped our butt, and I scored nine. And, and I think I could have scored more than nine. I think we could have won. But it was, you know, I was overconfident. Because 38 points. One time I scored 38 points. Izzy Kwame, one time he intercepted the ball. And it was about a year ago. It's been a calendar year since that game. Uh, so I think he and Roderick have an opportunity uh, to really, you know, get up off the map. Because, I mean, it, it, people are tired of waiting. And at some point you, you you stop talking about the potential they have, and then you start thinking, well, Carolina's got to go recruit more guys, or you know that Cam Smith's got to step shallow sand or somebody like that's got to step up. I mean, at some point you just go, well, that's that's they are who they are. I don't think we're there yet, uh, but I do think this weekend is a golden opportunity. It's a golden opportunity because you got a, a passing attack that's got a lot of skill that's unique in the sense that they use the tight end. Uh, which a lot of NFL teams do people are looking for guys that can, you know, drop down and cover and and stop these tight ends and H backs golden opportunity for Izzy McQuambo if he plays, I've heard his injury isn't too serious, but we all know how injuries are reported around here (laughs) and communicated. Uh, and then there's COVID. So you never know somebody tests positive, but I do believe that, uh, you know, those two guys are on the spot. I'm going to stay in the secondary for a little bit with Carolina. Jalen Foster, uh, and this news came out a couple of weeks ago. I think I mentioned it on the podcast. If I didn't, I'm sorry. He got a scholarship. He's a walk-on, was a walk-on, uh, from Burns High School. Uh, proud of the former Rebel there. Uh, and uh, went to Gardner-Webb and then came back to Carolina. Uh, you know, and, and and I'm always glad to see guys get scholarships and all that. But I also want to say this, uh, if you notice – Uh, On the botched punt from Tennessee, you know, how they kind of shoveled it forward and that guy started running. You know, the guy that made the tackle on that play uh, was Jalen Foster. And thank God he did because he misses that tackle. That cat's running around the end and it may have been one of those oh-my-God plays for a touchdown. Um, So, you know, he's already kind of earned a scholarship there by making that tackle on, uh, on the botched punt. Uh, for the Gamecocks and, and certainly proud of him. Good kid from all I've heard, really good person. Uh, but, you know, I think most of South Carolina players are really good people these days, you know. Um, so, uh, and, and that that makes it even tougher when the Gamecocks lose because you're, you know, the, these are good folks, you know. It's not like, you know, some teams where you're like, hey, you got what you deserve, didn't you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not like that. Um, and that's from the head coach on down, you know. Yeah, I don't. I don't I think if you're out there because you, you, you don't like Will Muschamp personally and uh, you're laughing when he loses that you're barking up the wrong tree. I, I think it's one thing to be critical as a coach, but, you know, as a person, I don't, I don't really see it. So um, I get it, though. People are passionate. And the head coach is going to take abuse. Unfortunately, these days, and this is a new thing, the quarterback now has gone into that area where, It used to be – and look, I never really – I always thought there's a happy medium. You know, sometimes it's on the coaches. Sometimes it's on the players. You can't – you know, because they're college athletes, you don't want to go too far. Like, you don't – like, I don't need to write something about Cam Smith's performance and talk about how he needs to be cut because he's not a professional. You know, I think it's okay for fans to be like, Cam Smith played poorly. (laughs) That's a fact. Do I think that – you know, it's fair to say Cam Smith's a bust and he's a scholarship pulled. No, that's ridiculous. But it used to be players were sort of, you know, in the, in the land of the internet, on well, message boards, players were sort of off limits. I mean, it was almost like, you know, a guy could go out there and throw six picks and, you know, you, you blame Steve Spurrier or Lou Holtz, you know. Um, almost all on Spurrier, all on the coaches, you know, change running backs coaches, change special teams coordinators, not on the players. And sometimes it was on the players. I mean, you know, and, and and they probably, you know, you probably needed to, you know, talk a little more about, you know, hey, this guy really had a terrible game and the game plan wasn't that bad. Um, nowadays, you know, everybody still seems to be off limits, except for Cam Smith, apparently, uh, except the quarterback. <laughs> and I've I've just seen some made-up stuff about Colin Hill, you know, on the big spur, on Facebook, just made up. Uh, And and I think part of that is because Ryan Holinsky is such a popular guy. And, you know, you talk about good people and you pull for good people and you're a fan favorite. And I think, unfortunately, and I've I've talked about this for years, some people are just so connected to the star ratings. And and it's probably because of the the success two five-star quarterbacks up the road have had, uh, which which is unprecedented for the other in-state program, Clemson, I'll say Clemson's name. I'm not, I'm not, you know, don't say their name. So if I look in the mirror and say Clemson, you know, three times backward or fast or whatever they do in Beetlejuice is, um, or is like, you know, Danny Ford going to appear in the mirror? I don't know. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think part of it's that. I think part of it's because Helensky – Anytime you have a true freshman quarterback start, you know, just like with Jake Bentley, that next year expectations are high. Um, But, yeah, so, so you know, and I think if Holinsky were the starter Saturday night, he'd have taken some heat if he'd have lost. And I think they would have lost probably worse than, you know, four points. Probably about 21 points. Because I think a lot of the reason Carolina stayed in the game was they executed the offense. And and that's why you start a guy like Colin Hill – because he can execute the offense, make all the throws, make the good decisions because of his experience, because if you're not hitting the guy when the play's called, there's not enough to overcome that uh, with how Carolina's going to have to play this year. So, anyway, I'm going to back off. The Quarterbacks get hit, coaches get hit, whatever. Uh, good people, that was my whole point. Jalen Foster was a good person and deserving his success. And, hey, he made that tackle. That was, that was maybe a – a busted play for a touchdown saving tackle. And so, Hey, he's earned us earned that scholarship right now. So congratulations um, to him. All right. I'm going to switch sides of the ball. Cause I, I just got, I got a bunch of notes I'm going through today with the Gamecocks. And I want to talk about um, had who covers pits. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm going to stay. I'm sorry. Not going to switch sides of the ball yet. And I don't know what you guys think. And, and, Correct me if I'm wrong. And, and again, you can get it on the mailbag inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com or you can tweet to at the big spur pod. Uh, and that's, uh, that's really good idea to follow the big spur pod on Twitter. Um, please do that. Please do that. Um, and, uh, so obviously, you know, you get, uh, you get a lot of content and stuff like that and you can do it. So, that's how you get the mail back. So correct me if I'm wrong here. I think just from, just from eyeballing it. And, you know, I, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a coach. I don't see him in practice. That, that may change. Um, I just, uh, you know, and I may be wrong because I, like I said, I don't see him in practice, but uh, you know, just from a talent evaluation, spitballing standpoint, you know, and D line have you know, I've, Rated all the positions nationally, but D-line I've hit way more than I've missed. Um, and I think Jordan, Burt, Zach Pickens, J.J. Inigbari, or however you say it, and then either Ellis or Sandage is the best group. And I know Jabari Ellis played better than Rick Sandage, so I'd probably go with Ellis. But as far as your front four goes, I just think talent-wise, those are the best guys. Size-wise, those are the best guys. Now, is Jordan Burch, who missed some time in the preseason, ready to go out there and play 70 snaps? Probably not. So you're going to have to have some guys come in. Um, and and the, there's the other issue that Burch and Barre kind of play the same position, although you can always move them around. You know, so I don't know what's going to happen. And that, that's nothing against Aaron Sterling and nothing against, uh, you know, Kier Thomas. Those guys have played their asses off for South Carolina. And, and they're still going to play a lot. You know, I mean, they're they they they're guys that are kind of glue guys that are, you know, been around a while, and they're valuable members of the team. But I think if, if you're going to go, you know, play in the SEC, I mean, you know, you, you need to play your guys on, on the D-line. Now, I say that, uh, and I know Sandage didn't do anything special the other day, so maybe it's Ellis. Um, I say that and watch them go with this four, and they get bounced out of gaps and ruin their assignments and all that <laughs> you know because that's a big part of it too I mean if you don't believe in assignment football and why coaches play guys that know what they're doing look no further than the flea flicker the other night where you know the linebacker you know rushed the passer instead of keeping contained and Garantano just flicks it out at the last minute and uh, Tennessee got a huge play guy was wide open well there's a reason for that and the reason is you know that that's how football kind of works. You know, um, and look, I'm with you. Sometimes I get frustrated with like the guy, oh, the guy that knows that the play is the best. You know, ah, he's playing. He's not as talented. You know, and I think that, and you get frustrated with coaches. I, I think probably the bigger frustration should come with the players that won't learn their assignments. Um, but to me, just a talent wise, um, and I guess you got to get these guys up to where they're knowing what they're doing is Birch, Pickens, and Enigbari, and then Ellis or Sandage. Um, and then Thomas can do a lot, of, uh, a lot of other things. So that's the defense. You know, offensive notes I have. First of all, I think it's a steaming pile of horse crap that Jalen Brooks is not currently eligible. I mean, you got people left and right taking rules like the SEC that, you know, we have a rule that you can't transfer in conference, but because of the pandemic, because of the pandemic, because of the pandemic. You know, we're just going to make everybody eligible. Well, then what the hell's the difference between that? You know, what kind, of comp, what kind of message and competitive issues does it send, and, you know, to, to make the, you know, Cade Mays eligible and, and um, gosh, the quarterback at Kentucky that came from Auburn, his name is Joey Gatewood, eligible. And it's kind of funny. They waited until after Kentucky played Auburn to make Gatewood eligible. Um, you know, what, what's the damn difference between that and, and Jalen Brooks, who's a kid that you know went to Texas for a while, halfway across the country, uh, and then the pandemic hit, he wants to come home. What, what was, what, what, where is the, what, where, first of all, why was it denied to begin with? What are you doing? Um, and I think we need more transparency the NCAA, i know because of ferpa laws and things like that you're not going to be able to you know because some of these things are very personal and you you know you don't really want them to get out i understand all that but but you got to have you you almost need like a checklist to say vaguely the you know these are the criteria that were not met and it needs to be evenly applied across the board evenly applied across the um and you know from what ray tanner said yesterday they're probably going to go to a free one time transfer in january anyway um which i think sucks because i think that's going to you know that that that's going to open some pandora's boxes and rosters are going to be much more in flux i i do think if they do that you know they need to expand the number of of you know initial what is it the the, the initial number that you could sign the 25 you know, because you're going to really screw some rosters up, um, you know. And, and, I mean, what what's to keep tampering from happening? I mean, you know, in the NFL, they you know, you can't tamper or whatever. But, uh, you know, in college, what's to keep, you know, your buddy, you know, your friend of a player, you know, and, and you're in another school and you call up your buddy and you're like, hey, just, you know, I like that kid that plays at South Carolina, number seven, the freshman horn. You know, just uh, if anything ever happened over there, he wasn't happy. You know, we'd probably love to take a look at him. And then he tells his friend, and then it gets back to you know. I mean, you see how it's going. Um, but you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, uh, I, so so all that said, I don't know why Jalen Brooks is eligible, and you know, especially considering it wasn't like he was at Wingate and said I'm too good, uh, and then went straight to South Carolina, like like. Like you know, you got a team in the neighborhood, Wingate, and all of a sudden the kid says, ah, I'm just going to go down to South Carolina. They gave them a scholarship. Th- that's kind of funny, you know, because you're like still in the neighborhood. what? I mean, he went all the way to Texas, though, and then had to come back because of the pandemic. So to me, it's BS. It's a pile of crap that this kid is not eligible. And then, you know, just from what I've heard about his home situation, he needs to be back closer to home. And that's even sadder. You know, I mean, you're in the middle of a pandemic. Everybody red shirts this year anyway, so you're admitting eligibility-wise is the throwaway year. I mean, so what the hell is the deal? I hope he gets, you know, I hope he gets eligible. Still waiting on that. You know, would have been nice first two games considering you got Tennessee and Florida, but probably back for Vandy, I would guess. Um, and if they turn him down again, I don't see how they do it. And if it's on South Carolina. Like if the university's not doing the right thing, because some of these other schools don't have any problems getting guys eligible, then maybe they need to be a little more forceful with it. Just saying, you know, it's it's just kind of funny that a lot of these decisions can, you know, sort of go one way or the other. Nick Muse and Josh Bell went Carolina's way. Jamel Cook did not, but that was more because of his academics. Um, you know, so so this one, you know, why why did it get turned down? Uh, I know there was the the question of the timing of the waiver uh, and all that good stuff. So, you know, there's a lot of whys there if it ultimately doesn't end up that way. Um, thought to carry and Jorner sticking with the receivers had a tough night. Uh, I, I know that some folks were talking about Josh Van being open down the field and, you know, that's tough. That's a tough call to make. Sometimes. Um, I, I tend to believe he was, but sometimes you look at that on the film and, What you're catching is a a DB coming off because they read the play. Uh, And he looks wide open, but he's not. Uh, But if he's getting open, that's a good thing, you know. Van needs to catch the ball, but it's a good thing because they need more receivers. You know, play Luke Doty. Uh, You know, if they hadn't lost, I don't think anybody's saying anything about playing Luke Doty. But because they did, you know, there's a lot of talk about it. I think he can help them. Xavier Leggett needs to keep building on his performance the other night. I thought, you know, he wasn't wasn't bad, wasn't great, but made you know made some plays when he needed to. That that post play um, on a slightly underthrown ball was, was a big play for him because you know that and it was a big play in the football game because you know Carolina's down twenty one seven at that point. They need to get momentum back. You go boom boom, all of a sudden Carolina scores in three plays. They're right back. And Leggett was part of that. He caught a big pass down the stretch, too, in the fourth quarter. He needs to build on that uh, because I think, you know, he's going to have some opportunities, uh, especially if uh, they bracket Shy or try to take him out. And and Shy Smith needs to stay the same and don't get hurt. You know, Shy's getting some wear and tear on his body, catching 10 passes like that and getting hit. You know, stay the same, don't get hurt, and don't get frustrated because I think – now, when you scout South Carolina after one game, secret's out, you're trying to take him out of the game. Um, and and that gets frustrating for receivers, like a basketball player where they double-team you or whatever. I'm not saying Florida's going to bracket him or double-team him because uh, that causes problems in and of itself. But, you know, I, I hope he doesn't get frustrated uh, as teams start to respect his ability. You know, there's a he wants to go to the NFL, this is going to happen. Uh, I hope that Kevion Mullins maybe gets involved in the in the game plan a little bit this week. I think, you know, when you when you're talking about a, a split tight end, he can be really good. He, he's one of the more athletic, fast players on the team. Um, and so that's all I really have to say about the tight ends. Other than you know, Nick Muse feel bad for him for missing that ball. Everybody from time to time drops one. Uh, you know, feel bad, and 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 you know the rest in general the tight ends need to block better. And everybody involved in the program understands that. So, anyway, there's uh, there was all that. Dylan Walton, is he a right tackle, left tackle? Do they have four right tackles now? It's like having three right feet on the offensive line. Obviously, they have to play better. I- I'll say this, though. I mean, there's a lot of angst and consternation about the offensive line. Um, I did think in the second half they opened some holes for the run game. Um, part of that was because the Gamecocks were going a little more vertical in the pass game, and, you know, I think that that opened some things up. Um, you know, they need to play better, but but obviously, uh, you know, I don't think all was lost. I'll say this, Florida's much quicker and more athletic on defense than Tennessee. Tennessee's good defensively, don't get me wrong. But personnel-wise, you know, you look at this and, you know, like I said last episode, you know, with Grantham, it's either disaster or opportunity. So if your offensive line's getting wrecked, you know, and you're trying to throw it in the pocket uh, with a pocket passer, it could be a long day, a long, long day. So, you know, that's the question I have about Wanham. Is he a left tackle? He's a talented guy. We know that. Uh, but you know somebody's got to step up and be that left tackle uh, and then I think the right side will work itself out Uh I, I didn't think Ja'Kai Moore after they sat him a little bit Lee played I didn't think he played all that bad Um and, and he shouldn't you know I mean he's in the second year you know sometimes it takes to your third year as an offensive lineman but he's a talented guy was you know one of the top guys on the board at Penn State Clemson wanted him Carolina wanted him uh they got him so Ja'Kai Moore should be playing well so we'll we'll see kind of how that shakes out. You know, I think my gut is that they're probably going to go with Dylan at left, still more at right. Uh, and then Jovan Gwynn has to play better. Uh, because if Jovan Gwynn does not play better, uh, Jordan Rhodes is back and getting back into shape. And he started, you know, however many games last year and old Jovan will be on the bench. And I think, I think the world of Jovan Gwynn, you know, there was a reason he was highly regarded and he had a great camp. Must champ named him the offensive player of the camp. Um, he just didn't play like he did in practice last week and in, in that first game. And he's a tough, tough, hard nosed guy. So you look for him to. I think he'll rebound. <laughs> but you know that's that's the offensive line right there. Um, all right. So those are kind of my notes on Florida. Uh, I'll say this, and and I say this sort of tongue in cheek, but sort of not. Will the Gamecocks miss Mon Denson this weekend? You know, Mon Denson, the last three years against Florida, those are probably his three best games. And I know Feaster rushed for 175 in the game in Williams-Price last year, but Denson was plowing through people, too, after Dowdle got hurt. He got his chance. I thought he ran well at the Swamp uh, in 2018, and then 2017 was kind of his breakout game. You know, we hadn't heard much from Denson at all until that game, and, he and A.J. Turner, 2017 and 2018, had big games against the Gators. Um, I say all that to say this, game guys are going to have to run the football. I think that that's one of the ways you combat a fast, aggressive, athletic defense like Florida has is you're able to open holes and run it. Um, can Deshaun Finwick do it? Can, can, you know, Kevin Harris do it? Can Zaquandre White do it? You know. Uh, I think they showed signs the other night. They obviously, you know, <laughs> have some opportunities, and, and the holes have to be there, and, and the play calls have to be there, and all that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I thought, I thought Bobo did a great job mixing run with pass uh, the other night, especially in the second half. So, uh, you know, running the ball, that's going to be a big key on Carolina's offense. And plus, the more you run it, the more you're successful doing it, it keeps their defense on the field wearing them out, and it keeps their offense off the field, and I've said this before, this is the most skilled talent they've had at Florida, I believe, since the Urban Meyer era. Just in terms of the depth, uh, the multiple playmakers, they got a quarterback now that can make it all work. I know they thought their offensive line was suspect, but it's a big group and it's a veteran group. They've been around a while. Um, and I don't know that you need uh, all the time in this system when you're able to, to run and pass, pass and stay balanced. Uh, and I'm talking about the system at Florida Mullins, um, you know, if you got Felipe Franks back there and you're trying to power run over and over again, uh, yeah. You know, a couple of years ago and they had Jordan Scarlett and those, you know, fifth, six year seniors back there. Yeah. I mean, I think you're going to, you're going to need a big time offensive line, but you know, with, with this kind of deal, you know, maybe you don't. So, you know, we'll see kind of what happens. We'll see the deal um, in terms of, uh, how Carolina's O-line plays and also how Florida's O-line plays. Uh, But I do think it's in Carolina's best interest to establish the run. And I think there's precedent. They've been successful running the ball against Florida. Uh, You know, I think uh, last three years, actually. And I know in in 2017, and there's Red. uh, I think he senses the garbage truck. It's garbage day today. Um, I I think that, uh, you know, Two years ago, obviously, they had an interim coach. Chris Rump was calling the defense, whatever, and they were able to run it. But I think, you know, the last two years, that's been Grantham and uh, Carolina's still been successful. So, you know, we'll see kind of how that all works out. All right, mailbag. Like the mailbag, like I said about the mailbag earlier, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com, or you can tweet to at the Big Spur pod. And we don't have any Twitter people today. Uh, you know, but we have plenty of emails, so I'll get to it. My boy, Spence, he used to email the box. He says, hi, JC. Macro observation, still a must-champ coach game, absolutely no feel for the game. I'm beginning to check out and get complacent, whatever. Oh, well, he stinks. (laughs) Certainly within your right to say that. I heard you mention great play calling in the Tennessee game, and while I see improvement, I'm really struggling to see a grade on an A. A few concerns I see. The over-reliance on the tunnel screen game. It very rarely produced positive yards in that game. The third and short call where he gives jet sweep to Shy. Shy didn't put his foot in the ground and turn up. Uh, get in the eye and pound it forward. Bad play call there. Another example is third and 15, down by seven. And the crap call settles for the field goal. I, I think your last point here is fine uh, with that play call. It was, it was probably – Colin Hill probably – is probably nobody open. Colin Hill probably hit the open man, but I haven't looked at it, so I don't know. Yeah. What was that Muschamp or Bobo? I don't think Bob Muschamp was saying, go, you know, settle for the field goal. Anyway, I thought it was improvement. You cited the adjustments. Totally agree with that. I'd give Bobo a B-minus maybe. Well, I just don't – I don't know. I, I don't agree with the tunnel screen game uh, talk. I, I think you got to run those plays and get your guys out on the perimeter and make it work to set up other things. Um, I, I know those plays probably they didn't produce great yardage. Um, you know, Shy should have put his foot in the ground, he'd have had a first down. Um, and maybe more if he'd have cut up because he just kind of went over there and danced and, and cut up. So I'd I'd probably put that on Shy and I don't wanna, you know, I don't wanna you know, there's been some criticism of Shy because of the pick six and some other stuff, but man, the kid the kid caught ten passes for 140 yards. I mean, you know, had a great night. And so I I, you know, yeah, that was a mistake. He's got to turn that up. Or, or they need to use Joyner on that play. If Joyner can get around the edge, because Joyner will turn it up and, and go for positive yards. But with the down and distance, it was a lack of down and distance awareness. I think, um, you know, in, in terms of a play, you know, maybe they'd like to have back is is how it ended up with the, the screen on, on third and 15, uh, because that obviously was not going that far. Uh, you know, maybe you go more vertical on that or have a different thing. Maybe you run that, that tight end play that, you know, Nick Muse dropped. Again, give him a second chance at it. Uh, you know, B minus, I think that's harsh. I'd probably go B B plus when you consider they lost the game, but had they won it, I'd give him an A. Uh, and maybe it's because we've watched a lot of bad play calling, but, you know, even Steve Spurrier, when he was dialing him up, had one he wanted over. You know, everybody, Mike Leach on Saturday's quarterback threw for 623 yards. He was mentioning how he would like to have some over. So uh, I I thought Bobo called a better game for Carolina Saturday uh, than a lot of the games I saw him call at Georgia. Um, And and, and that's just in terms of creativity. Because, in other words, at Georgia, you know, I I thought he got more and more creative as the years went on. But, man, it's – you know, you could just turn around and hand it to Todd Gurley, <laughs> you know, or and then or Nick Chubb. I mean, you know, you're just like, oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe we'll, you're not necessarily sitting there worried about, sorry about the dog again. Um, we had him kind of confirmed, but are confined uh, on Thursdays when it's garbage. You know, we, we kind of walled him off from the window, but he's, he's hearing the, hearing the garbage truck now, and uh, I know that's annoying, and I apologize, but old Red, Red, come on, buddy. Let's tighten up. Let's be quiet. It's just a garbage truck. I'm convinced that when he barks at the garbage trucks and, and the UPS man and the mailman and he piece like that, he's convinced that when he barks at them because, you know, they don't ever stay. You know, they just kind of pull up and leave. I'm convinced he believes that his barking is what causes them you know, when they pull up to leave and he's scaring off a monster or something. So you can't really, can't really blame Red for that, you know, because he, he, he's doing what he's supposed to do. He's about 18 pounds. So I don't think he's going to do any harm to the actual garbage truck. If he ever catches the garbage truck and I pray that he's never outside and goes after one. Um, but, you know, you got to think mentally, you know, as a dog, you know, you're sitting there and there's this big white thing or, or green thing or a big garbage truck out there. And you think it's a monster and you bark. And, you know, after you bark for a while, it just goes away. You got to think you're you're doing your job. But anyway, Spence, man, I I'm, I'm appreciate I'm loving the emails. I'm loving the emails. I know that me and you have had some great debates uh, over the years, both on the Big Spur and talk radio in Columbia. And so I appreciate you emailing in. So Lee says, let's say the season turns out bad and it's time for a change in leadership. Does Tanner deserve to make another football hire? And if not, does he go first, buying West Champ another year? Can't see both getting the ax in the same year. Um, This is a tough question because, you know, there's the question of, too, with the $58 million projected loss in the athletic department on football, you know, how are you going to financially work out terminating an old staff and hiring a new staff. Um, you know, I, I think in a normal year, like last year, you know, the buyout was big, but you could find the money before the pandemic, you know, and 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 at the time too, you had talked that Disney was going to fork out some money and 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 get CBS out of the game of the week contract and you know, another 30 million would have been coming in on that. Um and so last year, I didn't think money was an excuse at all. I know people talked about it, but I, I thought it was, you know, you, this is the Southeastern Conference, you know, and in South Carolina, you, you're not, a, you, you've had one coaching search since two thousand and five for fifteen. You've had one coaching search of fifteen years. Other schools are still paying guys. I wonder how much Tennessee. I think Tennessee's probably still paying Derek Dooley. So. You know, um, I, I you know that, that's why I said last year, and I, I wasn't necessarily calling for Muschamp to get fired. I, I I like Will Muschamp. I still believe at the time he was the right hire. Um, obviously, if the program gets set back ten years, he's not. But I don't think it'll be that case. I, I think that Will Muschamp's issues have been on game day, and and it's been that way since Florida. Look, I mean, he he left a guy in Jim McElwain. That didn't like to recruit didn't really like all the things that go into coaching you know at a big time program didn't do anything yeah, that's why he got fired um he left a guy in Jim McElwain a team that won that that was good enough to win the East two years in a row so I I, I just you know I, I don't know that when you look at the roster right now that, that you know barring like mass transfers and You know, we talked about this yesterday that I don't know that there will be mass transfers. I think there'll be some, especially if you can be instantly eligible. Um, The the new guy, if there is a new guy here soon, is going to take over a a team in the dumpster. They may may feel that way, but uh, I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case. Um, uh, You know, but you got the $58 million deal there, you know, with, with the loss, so you know, uh, are they even going to be able to make a move um, financially? You know, and then go hire somebody else. Now, let's say you do it. Let's say you, you know, I, I think you're the, you're the University of South Carolina Athletic Department. This is the pandemic is kind of a right now looks like a you know a temporary thing at least not leading into next year. Um, you, you've got you know you're still raising money. You know, you, you've got good credit. <laughs> Uh, I think any financial institution out there that wants to loan you a hundred million, I think that'd be a good investment on their part because you, you know you're, it's not a high risk loan. There's tons of collateral, and, and you're a, even though you're you've got to probably get permission from the state government, which which you know we know you guys know my opinion on most of those folks. Uh, you know you, you can go you can go bridge that. I think, and I think you're gonna see a lot of schools do it. Um, that said, does it look good if you're, you know, paying a fifteen million dollar buyout and then paying another guy five million a year and guaranteeing it? I don't know. I don't know. But let, let's just say that there is a change in leadership, and let's let's say that you know the pandemic situation is solved, and you know Carolina's got the money to do it. So that's number one. If they have the money to do it and it's needed, and and I believe if they have the money to do it and this season's you know three and seven ish, two and eight ish, that it's probably time. Uh yeah, you know, I hate to say that, but it's probably kind. Um and I think I think you, I think at that point, as mad as people are at Ray Tanner, you you, you gotta let him go do it. Um because I, I think when it comes to you know, Ray Ray wasn't like this, Ray didn't decide to hire Will Muschamp on his own. You know, they had a search committee, they went through a process, he listened to people. You know, and now he he ultimately made the decision, and and I think at the time again, when you look at the other coaches uh, that were the hot coaches on the market, you know, it, it was just kind of a period in college football where you know where do you go, you know, where do you go, and and I th- I think you know, given Lincoln Riley's success out at Oklahoma this past weekend, notwithstanding, you know, you go hire Lincoln Riley, you you, you know. You look good, but then the question is, is he good because he took over Oklahoma? You know, did they, would the offense have been terrible? And a, I mean, you know, you just, would he have been able to recruit? You know, the, there's a lot of questions there about Lincoln Riley at the time. Now, hindsight's 2020. Um, It would have been a good out of the box hire. So, other than Lincoln Riley, and, and then you don't know if Oklahoma had been like, wink, wink, nod, nod, don't take South Carolina because you're getting Oklahoma soon, and he wouldn't have gone. And I think that's what happened with Tom Herman in Texas. You know, so you got Tom Herman, who's the best group of five coach in the country at the time, and, and you go down a long way with him and, and you know, was he coming ever or not? I, I think Ray Tanner in and of himself gave Tom Herman a lot to think about. And then, you know, he had Kirby Smart lined up. I'm not convinced Kirby Smart does better than Will Muschamp right now just because of, like, you know, kind of the style of football Kirby likes to play. Um He hasn't seemed to be willing to, you know, reinvent the wheel or, or try to do something completely different on offense. Um, you know, he's not going to be recruiting in the top five at South Carolina like he is at Georgia. Georgia, he inherited a top three class. He inherited – Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle, and, you know, I, I just – and a lot of good football players from Mark Rick. Um, I'm not convinced he would have done any better, but, you know, that was the the, the sensible hire, you know. Kirby Smart, he was going to get his chance, uh, and he has won at Georgia and Georgia and then played for a national championship. So, you know, you have him lined up. Nobody – you know, there were rumors Mark Rick was getting fired the year before but nobody really thought they would go through with that. he's you know, Mark Rick, but they fired him, <laughs> and you can't blame Kirby Smart one bit for saying, "I am gonna take Georgia over South Carolina because it's it's not not only is it a much better job that rarely comes has rarely come to open in the past twenty years, it's his alma mater and his wife's from Athens. I mean, you know he'd be an absolute moron to take South Carolina over Georgia if um you know, all things being equal, but given the ties, I mean, it's an absolute no-brainer. Um, and so then, then there was Will Muschamp and, and the other people that they talked to. Unless you want to say, well, Lincoln Riley would have been worth a worth a shot. Uh, and I understand that because everybody's sitting there dreaming about a bunch of offense, points scored, and all that good stuff. But but there's you know there's no there's nothing that says he would have had the players, and it would have been a big. I mean, you know, so. I You know, unless you want to say that, you know, the other guys were Rich Rodriguez, Willie Taggart, Greg Schiano, and Troy Calhoun. Of those, you know, Troy Calhoun does pretty good at Air Force. I, I'm i somewhat intrigued by what Shiano may have done on offense had he gotten the job. But, you know, you, you compare those guys to Muschamp, and then you kind of look at why did Muschamp fail at Florida – and then you look at you know the, the roster he left. Uh, Florida's playing for the SEC championship that year. You look at all the players he recruited. Um, and, and you sit down with Will himself, who's a personable guy, who's enthusiastic, who, who can talk football. And you listen to the plan. Unfortunately, the plan included Kurt Roper. But if you listen to Kurt Roper give his plan on the chalkboard, it's great. Again, it gets to game day. Um, And if there's one thing that's maybe an issue is that the chalkboard and practice and things like that sometimes dictate what happens on game day and as they should in a certain way. But, you know, you got to kind of look at it more in the games. And and that's why you're probably glad Mike Bobo's at South Carolina. And that's why, really, I thought McClendon, until he hit the wall with a freshman quarterback last year and didn't really have an answer, you know, plan B. I thought McClendon was better than Roper. His results certainly were. Um, Now with Holinsky, could Roper have called it up, you know, called it and hauled it like he did with Jake freshman year and would have that have been better? Yes. Yes. But I thought overall, if you're, you know, we're talking about an SEC offense or whatever, McClendon did a better job just because, you know, I think Roper was great on the chalkboard and had all these ideas and, you know, people told me you go to practice, you practice these plays and then, you know, when the game got there, you know you'd have a play sheet of fifty, and some really good ones, and then you know they'd run five and and one of them over and over and over again in the run game. So, any, anyway, so, so so you look at that, and, and so who who you know who was where was what 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 was the decision Ray made? You know, and and so Dan Mullen you know did reach out about the job or whatever, but there's, you know, you, you just kind of you gotta kind of weigh everything, you know. And, um, and I think that, you know, you look back and that, that was kind of the pool of guys Ray had to choose from. Let's say there's a, a move made this year. It's completely different. It's completely different because you've got a wide group of young up-and-coming coaches out there that would crawl to come to South Carolina. Um, you, know, you know, everybody talks about Billy Napier at Louisiana – uh, he wins his division this year. He's been in a conference title game three straight years, Sunbelt. Um, you know, Scott Satterfield certainly has – you know, Louisville was a complete disaster. Um, he goes in there and 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 that was – you know, he took over a disaster. You know, Jim McElwain at Florida did not. Um. So, <laughs> you know, you kind of look at it and, you know, that's a guy with ties to the Carolinas and that would actually be, you know, getting a sitting five, power five head coach to come, and that's hard to do. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, the pull of home is strong. He's from North Carolina, but I don't think UNC is opening up anytime soon um, until Mac retires. Uh, and, and he's also a guy that's done, you know, more with less. And and I think that's important this time around. Kent, do you have experience doing more with less uh, in terms of, you know, going and recruiting kind of under the radar and all that good stuff. And I think recruiting wise, Muschamp's done a good job with it. But you know, you got to have a guy that has proven he can go win. You know, more with less. You know, you got Shane Beamer out at Oklahoma, uh, who I think would be an intriguing hire, especially with what he would do offensively. Um, you know, he obviously was at South Carolina during the glory years. Um, his whole football life has been based on doing, you know, more with less at Virginia Tech. And he's been at Carolina and he's been at Mississippi State. Uh, and he's been at some places like Georgia and Oklahoma where, you know, you don't ever want to do less with more. So, you know, he he's, you know, I, I think hiring Shane when they hired Champ it, it had been sort of a long shot because he was still at Virginia Tech. And – you know, you're like, well, you're hiring Virginia Tech's associate head coach and Virginia Tech just made a coaching change, you know, whatever. You can still make a, I kind of made a case for him because I think, you know, he'd have put together a good staff and all that. But, but it's different now, you know, that he's, you know, been on a staff that's played for a national championship. And he went to the playoff however many years at Oklahoma. Um, you know, I, I think he, he's what we call Ready. Uh, in terms of that, so you have him sitting out there, you know y- you could take a flyer at a Mario Cristobal at Oregon because obviously the pac twelve doesn 't really care about football like they do down south, and you know for a big chunk of change, you know maybe he would listen, maybe he wouldn't Th- then there're guys that are out of it, like Bob Stoops, you know Bob Stoops may not want to go jump in the frying pan at Florida State, but you know South Carolina, where he could talk to the head ball coach about the culture and and, and Fans' expectations, you know, I, I don't think the expectations at South Carolina are going to be as high as they were at Oklahoma. Um, you know, Maybe you talk to him and he gets so, – so it's a different dynamic. And I say all that to say this, the chances of Ray Tanner screwing up a hire in the next 12 months are slim to none. And I'll say this too, people can gripe and complain all they want about Ray and – all that good stuff, but, you know, coaches are kind of mercenaries and they're going to listen to dollars and cents and they're going to ask, can you win? The coaches also don't want to, you know, they don't want to get fired, even though most of them have big buyouts. And they don't want to work for a guy that's a politician in a suit and tie that's going to get on Twitter one day and see people are bashing your coach and so I'm going to fire him. They don't want to work for a guy like the guy at Tennessee. It's now at Wake Forest, John Curry, who made a debacle of that coaching search because he could have picked up the phone and hired Jeremy Pruitt the, the day one. You know, uh, and, and so that, that, that's what would scare me about, you know, uh, the whole getting rid of Ray and then all that. And the other thing is, too, if you get rid of Ray the, and then, you you know, the, the new guy comes in, I mean, are you just going to hand him a coaching search? Right away. I mean, and then, then the question becomes, who do you hire? I think there's some good AD candidates out there. I I saw somebody mention Brad Edwards the other day. That's not one of them. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, Brad was a great Gamecock, but, you know, talking to some people that were in the room when he was at Carolina, you know, you're, you're much better off, you know, sticking with Ray Tanner. Um, And and so that's my take on it. You know, you you, want to, force Ray out and get Ray to, you know, move the athletics department in another direction, that's fine, um, you know. But, but I, I think that if football is struggling, you know, you can't wait around on football. And I also think that it's a myth that Ray Tanner is incapable of making a good hire. I mean, you, you know, uh, do, do I think Ray should be held accountable if things ultimately don't work out with Muschamp and things get worse? for for not making the move last year? Absolutely, I do. I think he should be held accountable. But, you know, this whole notion that he's going to go out here and look at, you know, the guys that I just listed, who are the guys who will probably be the candidates for the job, and not come away with one of them or better, slim to none. And I think these guys would probably prefer to work for Ray Tanner over, you know, a guy in a suit and tie, because you you just don't know who they're going to hire. Now, I hope – if something happens to Ray and I'm not on the fire Ray bandwagon right now. um, I do think that, you know, like I said, you you, got to be accountable for your big time hires and and for not making change when, you know, it it looks like it's needed. Um, You know, but, but if something happens to Ray, you got president Kaslin there, who was at UCF and the UCF athletic director, Danny White, probably would like to take over an SEC athletic department. And he's made really good hires. You know, I don't want him to bring Josh Heupel with him. Maybe I do now after watching Mississippi State beat LSU and the, you know, the 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 air raid and all that. But um, no, I'm just I'm not sure Heupel's the answer. But I think, you know, you look at what he did hiring Scott Frost and turning that thing around after it bottomed out under O'Leary, and then all of a sudden in men's basketball, you know, UCF's a player, you know, and it's that's a tough conference in men's basketball. And so, you know, you look at those two major sports and, you know, you look at the fact UCF has a brand new stadium. They, they sell out, you know, I, I just, I think that that athletics department, you know, has undergone a, a, a period of growth and, you know, revitalization and lucky. Honestly, you know, at basketball, he hired a guy that had been fired Johnny Dawkins, but, you know, Johnny Dawkins is a pretty good coach, and I think he was at Stanford. And Stanford's shouldn't be a tough job in basketball, but it definitely is. I remember when Johnny Dawkins played for Duke, maybe my dad, 1986, watched Duke go to the Final Four that year. Uh, I think they played LSU, the, and then they played the – was it, that wasn't the Kansas and the Miracles year, was it? No, 86. Who won it all in 86? It was Duke. Duke won the – that was their first national title. Maybe Louis – no, they lost – sorry. Back up. Lost to Louisville, never nervous Purvis Ellison. Okay. So, so anyway, look, man. I mean, he was at Stanford and, you know, went to – some. and then, then, you know, UCF hired him, and, and that's not an easy job, and, and he's done well. So, Danny White and, you know, Danny White, of course, his connections to Duke probably got him up there. So that's my long answer for that, Lee. I I hate to even get into it right now before the second game, but I know it's on your mind and I do have some thoughts about it. So that's it. You know, I I think if you have to make a move and you somehow find the money this year, you know, it's it's asinine, in my opinion, to to, to say, oh, well, we got to wait and terminate the athletic director and and wait on football because – you know, look, man. I mean, everything else is kind of in place. You know, you, you're not going to fire Mark Kingston right now. You're probably not going to fire Frank Martin. Hopefully not. That would be dumb. Um, you know, certainly not fire Don Staley. So, so the 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 you know now now do you put you know do you make Ray put together a search committee and stuff like that? Yeah, sure. Caslin needs to be involved in all that. But you know, I, I just don't think that the hire that was it wasn't the fact that he made the hire that would that would give me pause about Tanner. It's that, you know, when when things got dicey last year, he was right there, you know, kind of stubbornly in the trenches saying everything's gonna be okay. Now, that part that may be the baseball coach in it. You know, you get nine outs or or nine, you know, nine innings, twenty seven outs, you know, you never give up or whatever. And that's fine. But, you know, the 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 check the X mark on him would be Um, and he didn't see the pandemic coming or anything like that, would be that, like, okay, you could have made a a move like everybody else after a disastrous year, and you didn't. And and then if what happens is, you know, all of a sudden Mississippi State's really good and Ole Miss turns it around and Missouri, if Missouri, God forbid, passes South Carolina in the east uh, with Eli Drinkwitz, I mean, yeah, man, I mean, you're going to have to answer because, you know, you have to be accountable for your decisions. But I don't think the actual hire – was bad, you know, and and, and I, just like I don't think the actual hire of Holbrook was bad. I think Holbrook, you know, was the logical choice at the time. It just didn't work out. And lots of ADs, as good of an AD as Jeremy Foley was, uh, and as, as as many blockbuster hires as he made, you know, he made some bad ones too. So <laughs> let's just get that straight. Um, you know, and he's considered one of the best ADs in the country. Even Tom Jurich at Louisville, who – uh, is one of the better a d s out there uh you know even he made you know he hired Steve Craig Thorpe and then he hired Bobby vitrino the second time, and that worked out for a while, and then the bottom fell out um you know but he did hire Rick Petino and just love my, the great Mike McGee who everybody you know there's some talk on Facebook need mike McGee back no you don't <laughs> Mike McGee you know was great at making the splash higher. But he also let the facilities fall behind so much. South Carolina had, to, you know, 10 years, $200 million to get out of it, to even become, like, relevant facilities-wise in the SEC. Um, he did build a basketball arena, which, you know, that, that in hindsight you can question as well. Um, and he also hired Dave Odom. Uh, and he also hired Brad Scott. <laughs> and so I'll just uh, – so what I'm saying is every AD makes hires don't. It happens, um, you know, and that's that's what they're judged on, and the program winning is what they're judged on. Uh, but you know, for every bad hire an AD makes, they can make another one that's that's fantastic. You know, I mean, I think just you know, if it happens soon, I think it's much more pressing to get the right football coach at South Carolina and start to you know get a new era, turn it around, build some enthusiasm. And then if you want to get rid of Ray, fine. But I'm just telling you that with the pool of candidates that's out there, it's going to be almost impossible. You know, you don't have to reach for a Will Muschamp or a Rich Rodriguez. Okay. Um, You know, you've got some guys that make total sense. And so that's my point. I've spent too long on that. I apologize. You're going to get some bonus coverage. All right. Phil says, JC, I want your thoughts on the defensive secondary. I noticed – after watching last night's game of the Vols, they seemed to attack Jamie Robinson a lot that night, and they play's place doing so. Do you think this is a mismatch the Vols are trying to capitalize on? Personally, I believe Jamie's one of our best DBs. Do you think it was just the screen the Vols used or a hole in the defense? It was a hole in the defense. I, you know, and Robinson on the one, one-on-one down the sidelines had great coverage. I mean, uh, I, I I think Robinson and Horn – uh, are the two that are out there playing ball. And, and you know, you're not going to be perfect as as a as a defensive back. You have to have short memory, as they say. Uh, I thought Dixon did some good things. Obviously, Smith struggled. I think the ones that need to step up, like I said earlier, are Mukwamu and Roderick. Um, and, Phil, thanks for the question. I, I had to go a little short on that one because of the – meet Lee's wonderful question he sent it. Noah says, uh, J.C., I appreciate the great work on the podcast. Thank you, Noah. I was listening to the Late Kick podcast by Josh Pate, and he seemed to be saying Florida is one of the contending teams this season, even more so than Georgia. Do you agree with that? If so, the Gamecocks really stand a chance this weekend. I think the Gamecocks are a long shot this weekend. Um, I'll tell you why people are saying that. Georgia all of a sudden has quarterback issues, and I don't know why people didn't think this because I said it before the the guy, I was like, they're gonna start Dewan Mathis. I was like, ooh, that's gonna be a struggle. Uh, and try to throw the ball. I don't know. You better just line up and run it old school style. Student body left. Uh, and then Stetson Bennett came in and kind of settled things down. I think, you know, is Stetson Bennett a national championship caliber quarterback like Trevor Lawrence and you know, Josh Fields and all no, he's 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 not Kyle Trask. He's he's not Colin Hill you know, that for that matter. But they got enough talent around them and they have the best defense in the country. Uh, so, so here's the question, you know, and I think Florida's defense is going to be significantly better this week, including the secondary, because I just say they had some missing guys and they got caught off guard by Ole Miss last week. But, but here's the question. Are you taking Florida's O that went up and down the field? Right now all you know is they went up and down the field against Ole Miss – are you taking George's D, which was great last year and is going to be great this year? And and when I'm talking about one of those two teams, that's what I'm saying. There's also a school of thought that I think Pete was talking about where, where you go with the one with the quarterback. And I think when you look at how Kyle Trask is playing and you look at the talent around him, which, again, is the most skilled talent they've had since the Urban Meyer era, <laughs> you know, you, you think, well, that Florida offense is dangerous and everybody respects Dan Mullen and, They're going to be able to go up and down the field and score with anybody. And after watching week one, being able to score, obviously, is paramount. But it's week one. So, do I agree Florida should be considered a contender? Yes. Would I necessarily say right now that they are the favorites to win the division over Georgia? Uh, No, even though the media, I think, or the media or coaches won, voted them to win. I don't think so. Uh, I do think Georgia's got quarterback issues. But I think Georgia's defense is good enough that they're going to beat Auburn pretty good this weekend. People are going to be back on the bandwagon, um, so that's my take there. But I appreciate the question, Noah. If you want more, just straight up college football talk about other teams besides the Gamecocks, be sure to check out the JC and Morgan College Football Podcast. Please keep the ratings for Inside the Gamecocks coming. Uh, we're trucking towards a thousand, and I appreciate each and every one of you for leaving them there again mailbag questions i always try to read them all every day i can't believe i got through them today um inside the gamecocks at gmail.com tomorrow's friday so that means the final word the final word before the gamecocks play their second game of the season against florida folks you always improve between week one and week two Uh, the issue is florida's going to improve between week one and week two as well uh but all hope is not lost. I, I, I don't always agree, or I don't ever agree. I don't know. I agree with this one with Athlon's predictions. I think sometimes those guys don't even, I don't even know what they're looking at. Um, but the guy from Athlon says it's going to be 40 to 34 Gators, close game. Gamecocks are 17 and a half point underdogs heading into the swamp. All right. This is JC Sherbert. Extra long episode today. Uh, but uh, we will uh, be back tomorrow with a normal episode the final word for the game play the gators down in the swamp saturday folks thank you so much for listening and have a great day holla at you soon